This show is produced by Sharebird, the knowledge sharing platform for the fastest growing teams. It's the place to get on-demand answers to your questions and learn from leaders at the top of their field. Want more advice and insights? Check out sharebird.com. Shout out to our sponsor, Clue. That is Clue with a K, the leading competitive enablement platform for product marketers who drive revenue for their business. Clue helps you collect, curate, and distribute competitive insights to enable sales and revenue teams to win more deals. Share real-time insights across your organization with Clue's dynamic battle cards delivered everywhere your sales reps live and allow them to contribute insights directly from the field. It's competitive strategy as a key lever of revenue. Elevate your role and outmaneuver, outplay, and outmatch the competition with Clue. Welcome back to season four of the Product Marketing Experts podcast. Today, I'm really, really, really excited to have Sahil Sethi with me. Sahil is a renowned product marketer with a ton of experience, and we're going to be talking about a topic that, quite frankly, we haven't talked a lot about on the podcast, the intersection of product-led growth, how we work within that with enterprise sales, how does product marketing work within that structure. So Sahil, welcome to the podcast. We'd love for you to introduce yourself, and how did you get into product marketing? Jeff, thank you. Thank you for the the warm intro, and Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, how did I get into product marketing? I feel like we're all, we're all, we all have our own stories, and we're all. Ac- I'm an accidental product marketer in a in a way. So my my career, I, I'm I'm originally from India, as you can can tell. I uh, I started my career actually before product marketing in management consulting. Uh, nothing to do with tech or product or marketing. It was it was all about providing strategy and operational consulting advice to companies. Uh, very strategic, top-down, business-oriented, profits-oriented kind of work that you expect. And I very quickly realized that's not a world I wanted to 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 grow in. There's a lot of reasons why consulting is not made for everyone. Uh, but there's one aspect of consulting I, I fell in love with, which was uh, which was the storytelling side of consulting. Uh, you know, even though I, I I'm the kind of guy who who wants to see a lot of impact, and what consultants do is you know take some data, find some insights, and provide recommendations. It's typically devoid of impact. You just, you know, leave, present a deck and then leave. But I love the whole process of deriving those insights and presenting it to clients and the storytelling that that accompanied that. And I, I asked myself if I can if I can take that element of what I love about my job and make a career out of it. And I always wanted to be in tech. It was the hot thing to do. It, everyone wanted to be in tech. It's uh, it's it's a place where where Especially someone, someone like me, who's who's a little driven and and wanted to wanted to have that bias for impact, felt like tech is the place to be. And so, after grad school, I found myself interning at Microsoft. Uh, I actually applied for an internship in the pricing and packaging group at Microsoft, which happened to sit under product marketing, which is a common scenario in many many cases. The function was called business planning, and they loved people with a with a consulting background. This was the uh, what is now known as the cloud and enterprise group at Microsoft, the, the, the business group that develops products like Azure and some of their technical products like Power BI. So I ended up at Microsoft doing pricing and packaging for a database offering and gradually made my way into the core product marketing discipline. 
I'd like to believe I did my 10,000 hours of learning about this discipline called product marketing from arguably one of the best B2B marketing companies on the planet. We did everything from messaging to launches to sales enablement, um, uh, storytelling and brand building and events and campaigns. And uh, I completely fell in love with the discipline. And I think as the as the function of product marketing has evolved and had its moment of reckoning in the last few years, I've evolved my, my own career with that. That's the story of how I accidentally entered this discipline and fell in love with it. That's amazing. And every product marketer, every product marketing leader, maybe I should say, that I've, I've talked with has uh, had a different story in how they found their way into product marketing. But I love the way you coined it in terms of being an accidental product marketer. And one thing is in common with amongst all product marketing leaders, everyone falls in love with it the second they, they, they actually get into the role. And that's certainly true of, of you and I both. So uh, thank you again for, for, for coming on the podcast. I want to dive into a little bit about product-led growth, like, like we were talking about in the, in the introduction. I think, or, or I, I hope at this point, everyone listening to this knows what product-led growth is or, or PLG for short, but can you maybe provide a little bit of overview of what PLG is, how you've used it, and some of the intersection between that and enterprise sales? Because I, I think a lot of people... And maybe it's a myth. Maybe maybe it's maybe it's fact. You can you can prove or and or disprove it. Uh, a lot of people view PLG as a little bit of a, the antithesis of enterprise sales. And um, uh, I certainly have my own take. I, I don't think that's true, but but yeah. love your take. Yeah, yeah. I think like I agree with you. I think the the common literature out there around PLG seems to pit it against enterprise sales. And I feel like the biggest mistake that most people made is they talk about the extremes and not talk about the most common scenarios, which is often a little bit away from the extreme. So the extreme example of enterprise sales is, is a very traditional way of selling, something that is pioneered by, you know, in fact, even Microsoft used to do that or the SAPs and the oracles of the world. You find a buyer, you identify a need, you get a meeting, you show a demo. It's so far away from the product. You sometimes do a proof of concept, sometimes even that's not required. These are terribly long sales cycles. And PLG, as you know, everybody understands PLG, there's a lot of definitions out there, is quite the opposite of that. It's this adopt before you buy mentality. It's um, you know, using the product, whether it's you know, a free trial or a free premium, to provide value to the, to the end user before a human is involved. And that often involves making the product easy to use you know, through, the, through a user experience or templates or guided workflows that involves discovering the product easily through, through motions like freemium or free trial, that involves um, uh, thinking about pricing and packaging in a different way. There's a, there's a great deal of pricing transparency that is in PLG-led motions than in, uh, in typical enterprise motions. And it involves using the sales team a little differently as well. And I think my, my, my thesis is, and, and what I've observed is, most companies like to think of these two as two extreme motions, while the reality is that any mature enterprise company out there is, is actually using some combination of both. They probably aren't doing it effectively, but both these go-to-market motions are often coexisting with each other. Every great enterprise company I know is thinking about PLG as a, as a, as a tactic. In fact, at Qualtrics, where I was, uh, Qualtrics is a very traditional enterprise sales-led company, and they have reinvented themselves very effectively into also adding a product-led growth motion for some of their core survey offerings. And this is what we, we, we did, my team did at Qualtrics. We have created pricing transparency and free trials, and we have created templates and guided workflows, and we have created a adopt before you buy a mindset. And we have changed the role 
of the sales and the CS teams and what to do with these users who discover the product and find value with the product before they even talk to a human. And I've, I've seen many, many enterprise companies wanting to adopt that as a tactic. And at the same time, every PLG first company that starts today and almost every B2B SaaS startup is like that. At a certain point of maturity, uh, whether it's trying to go up market or, or growing its user base or thinking about expansion motions, they do bring in a sales team. And the moment you bring in a sales team, you have to think about marrying these two motions together. So I'd like to believe the hybrid motion is more common than one, one would believe. Although the common literature out there doesn't suggest that and people are still arguing about one being better than the other. We just have to you know, learn to coexist and build companies with both of these amazing go-to-market motions in mind. Completely agree. And, and along the, that line, how have you structured your team in the in the past or or, or currently, if you if you'd prefer to talk about that, uh, around uh, supporting that that PLG motion? Because um, you know, I think a product marketer's scope can can certainly look different in a traditional PLG company versus maybe an enterprise company versus a blend of of both. So, curious how you've thought about that, and and then maybe you want to dive a little bit deeper into some of the distinctions there. The way we have structured our team is really dependent on the nature of how these two motions are intersecting together. And I have a I have a framework here which I which I describe is. I think there is three or four patterns of PLG and, and sales-led that coexist together. I've certainly seen some patterns at Qualtrics, kind of a different pattern at Clavio, and, and different companies are different patterns. And you know, let, let me describe at least my point of view on what these patterns are. And the, the way product marketing helps those motions is really dependent on what these, what these patterns are. So one very common pattern I see is when, uh, when you have a product which is very which can be used by a variety of users, often a fairly horizontal product. And so product-led growth's effort is to go and find those users. And the currency is the number of users using a product. I feel like Slack championed this and something that SurveyMonkey or Qualtrics did very effectively too was uh, make sure there's a lot of people who discover a survey tool and start using it. And once you reach a certain penetration or a certain threshold, uh, that's when the enterprise sales team comes in and by talking to an enterprise decision maker or a CIO talks about the need for an enterprise wide license. So I feel like one example is where your product by itself is very user centric in its approach. And then the role of enterprise sales is almost harvesting those users, that user base into, into a bigger license. That's not true for every product. So the other motion I see very commonly, the other pattern is is you may still be selling to an end user only one type of function or one type of department. But the moment you want to bring IT in or security in, the moment you want to talk about enterprise controls or integrations, you often end up talking to a persona who's not a user of your product. They, you know, whatever you try to get to the end user, you, you will invariably hit a wall if you need to have a conversation or a sign off from InfoSec before the company can make a purchase for, for whatever reason. And that's where you need a human to have that conversation. And so I see a lot of companies add a sales team the moment they start thinking about adding that enterprise plan and the enterprise plan comes with those single sign on and, and SAML and user permissioning and all of those governance and admin capabilities. But you can see like even in these two patterns, the role of enterprise sales is a little bit different already. The type of conversations they're having is different. The third pattern that I see, and it's actually something I'm, 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 I'm very excited about, is even if it's a non-enterprise company, even if it's an SMB-focused product, and Clavio in, in parts of Clavio fall, fall over there, you leave the choice to the end user. 
where whether they want to talk to a human or whether they want to completely have a self-serve discovery process. And I think the way we think about this is instead of thinking of these as two separate motions, you, you wanna think backwards from a customer journey. Just like we talk about a customer has multiple touch points before they make their buying decision. They have to attend that webinar or that event or watch that demo. Sometimes they want to talk to a sales rep. Uh, sometimes you know they, they may want some clarification on pricing, even if you've created pricing transparency. Or even if you've created the easiest to use product, sometimes they just want somebody to give them a guided demo using a use case that they care about. And so at Clavio, we see this all the time. We've created two funnels. We have a, a self-serve funnel and we have a sales assisted or a sales enabled funnel, but we don't stop anybody from jumping from one funnel to the other. You know, you may sign up online and choose to have a sales conversation. And conversely, if you directly come via a sales conversation, the sales rep will say, can I, can I create an account for you so you can play around with the data yourself and integrate with your Shopify instance? And so this is the best instance of the two motions working together where they don't think of them as two separate motions, but two options in a customer buying journey. And back to your question about how should product marketing be, be centered? I think we just have to step back and understand which of these patterns, and there may be more, these are my observations, which of these patterns is following in your company? And the role of product marketing, whether it's messaging, or creating the sales plays or creating the growth campaigns, it really fluctuates and varies depending on what pattern is, is more dominating versus, versus the other. If your sales team's job is to identify end users and explain the benefits of an enterprise license, the sales process, the number of meetings, the way qualification works is different and the, the role of product marketing is a little bit different. But if your sales team's job is to simply provide the best demo to a customer who raises their hand and say, show me the product, help me understand the pricing, then product marketing's job is a, is a little bit different. And so uh, I think as PMMs, whenever we join a company which has a sales team and some element of a PLG motion, the first question you, start, you should ask yourself is, what is the relationship between these two motions? And the mistake I have made is, I thought that the pattern I knew at Qualtrics would be applicable to Clavio, and, and we just have to step back and, uh, ask ourselves, why do these two motions coexist and how can we as PMMs enable the success of the entire go-to-market motion uh, by identifying the friction points and the touch points together and, and adding value over there. I love the holistic focus and I wanna, I wanna zero in on something you, you kind of lightly touched on there, which is how do you kind of identify those goals? I think in the product-led motion, there's uh, a fairly, common concept, let's just call it, of product qualified lead or, or PQL for, for short. I, I'm not quite sure if, if you, you've used that or, or, or do use it, but curious like if you have used it or, or any other terminology, how have you gold product marketers or, or have you maybe gold product marketers around that? And do product marketers work on both sides of, of both of those funnels or are there like dedicated PMMs for just the uh, self-serve funnel or just the other funnel? It's a great question. I think the answer, the short answer is all of the above. I've, I've been in situations where PMMs are influencing all aspects of the customer journey. Uh, sometimes we're influencing the downstream aspects of customer journey. So more around win rates and conversion rates. Sometimes we are influencing a little bit of the acquisition side of the journey, which is around PQLs or MQLs or, or leads in the simplest of manner. And, and often we're also influencing post-purchase expansions and retention and adoption aspects. And so in a, in a decently mature motion, you will have a product marketing team that is 
kind of impacting all those metrics. So there is a phase of product marketing that is supporting your growth pod or your marketing engine in, in lead acquisition. And so the, the role there is how can our messaging show up on the website in the best manner? How can we do the right kind of A-B testing uh, on copy or on offers? Uh, so, so the user funnel grows. How can we support the marketing teams for the, through the right kind of integrated campaigns that we want to talk about based on the, the product themes that are differentiated for this company? And those campaigns ultimately drive demand. There is a phase of product marketing that is absolutely focused on win rates and conversion. Those conversion could be sort of online conversions, those conversions could be sales reps, uh, you know, pitching and showing demos and driving closure. And so the materials could include pitch decks or one pagers or even demo scripts and product marketing plays a role over there. And, and certainly for, for different kinds of products, usually for very mature offerings uh, where the, the goal is to drive expansion and stickiness, uh, we, we spend a lot of time working with the CS teams in, in giving them the right kind of use cases and maturity models that they can talk about different usage patterns of the product. So the customer keeps using more of the product, remains loyal to you and ultimately drives those expansions. So I feel like in, in the way we have structured is we've identified which of these metrics matter to the business at what stage, what point of time. In a more mature company, all of them matter. And so we have to structure the team by supporting all three of them. But often you just you just step back and say, okay, we have a we have a win rate problem. We don't have an acquisition problem, and so there's a little bit more all hands on deck approach to how do we completely revamp our sales enablement approach and help the sales reps convey a differentiated messaging. In some cases, especially in in a market softness like this, there's a little bit more of an acquisition challenge. So we are all thinking about how do we acquire more leads. But I think I think the value of product marketing extends to the entire funnel. And it's just the tactics that are different. And some tactics are a little bit more PLG centric. Some tactics are a little bit more enterprise sales centric. You just have to step back and identify where you can add the most value. Couldn't agree more. And I think there's a fairly common and maybe somewhat cliched question in product marketing circles these days around like, how do I test messaging? How do I know that my messaging is right? And, and I think PLG provides a shortcut to that. that. That is not to say that anyone should go down the PLG route for that alone. But at least during my time at, at HubSpot, it, it certainly unlocked the ability for us to test and refine uh, and have data on messaging. And, and I imagine you've had that experience as well in the organizations you've been a part of doing PLG. Absolutely. I think the, the best thing I've learned as a marketer about PLG is the agility it provides you. In an enterprise sales scenario, the ma- messaging really manifested itself in the form of a pitch deck. And so you, you, know, you take weeks to develop one and test one and land one and then get feedback about it. And in a PLG scenario, that doesn't exist. You can run an A-B test on your website on a new copy tagline through two tools like Mutiny or, or other tools overnight. And you can run a statistically significant test and you can run many such tests at the same time and get rapid results. So something if you, I've seen a change and evolution in my career is PLG is not only giving you agility to get feedback from customers or prospects, it's also giving you a lot more data-centric uh, decision-making. We no longer sit in debates about, hey, I like this messaging or not, let's just test it out. And uh, that's the best part about PLG. It's, it's no longer, it's not just a, a go-to-market motion which is about lowering customer acquisition costs. It's a fundamental change in how you bring your products to market, how you run your marketing organizations, how you run your sales organizations, because it's changing the speed with which organizations grow. And that's the the best part about being in a PLG first company. Agreed. And so I I, I guess kind of two questions along this line. How have you 
built and nurtured and maintains a, a really strong relationship with product leader and, and product teams as a result of this, this PLG motion? And how have you maybe worked with the product team to decide what should be a part of your PLG offering, whether that's a free trial, whether it's you know a free offering overall? Curious how, how you've helped kind of inform some of those decisions or conversations. Yeah. Uh, it's a, firstly, it's a very common question that comes up is how do how do PMMs work with product uh, or how do we influence the roadmap? And um, I've seen, like, I, I'll outline a few principles I, I think all PMMs should, should work around to really drive good and strong relationships with product. And um, I've come across many situations where PMMs are complaining about the friction they see with product and they're trying to influence roadmap, but they don't have a seat at the table. And I think if you use these principles effectively, uh, it, it just reduces the friction. And those principles are, I'm kind of jumping to the answer here, but like the first one is you should know the product. It's, it's part of your title, your product marketing. And so, so often we get bogged down in the go-to-market side of things in the enablement and launches and customer side of things that we forget that our core responsibility is to be know the product. And that's the best way to earn trust and credibility with product managers or product leaders or R&D leaders. PLG first companies in particular, it's the product that's doing the selling for you. Uh, you're, you, you know, they're not afraid to show off the product. I mean, in enterprise companies, you're kind of trying to hide the value of the product and you lead a lot more with benefits. And there is this thinking that talking about features and speeds and feeds is bad. In PLG companies, you have to balance the speeds and feeds as well as the outcomes and the benefits out there on your website. So you have to learn to romance the product. And that's the first and the most important step to, to, to developing a strong relationship with product leaders. The second is, is you got to know the market and the customer. And we all talk about it. You know, PMMs bring the voice of the customer, mostly for messaging, right? You should not be writing messaging without understanding how it's landing with the customers and the pain points they're feeling. But the same voice of the customer also helps you understand the roadmap issues and the, the gaps you have in the product. And so that's what PMs are also trying to do, by the way. They are, they are tasked with going and speaking with customers and talking to sales teams and CSMs. They often have dedicated research teams in the form of UX research, helping them to understand how customers will react to usage patterns. But PMs are so bogged down in, 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 in the world they live in with the conversations with engineering and UX and design uh, that they, they often don't talk to the, to the customers as much as they'd like to. You could argue the same thing with PMMs. We, we tend to get bogged down with internal orchestration. We have to get ourselves out there and keep a tab on all the various sources of customer insight and market insight. And sometimes we just have to synthesize those insights for our product management friends. We don't have to run that NPS survey. That could be a customer experience team or a CS organization, but mine those insights, look at those verbatims, run those interviews, and bring those insights. So that's the second principle. And the third is have a lot of empathy for PM as a function. I think I, I, I respect this function a lot. They're, they're a difficult function. Their primary task is to decide what to build. And they get inputs from everybody. They get inputs from the CEO, the founder. They get inputs from sales teams who are banging on the table to get the feature so they can land a deal and CSMs and sales engineers and PMMs. We're all inputs to the process. And product managers often end up in this difficult position of saying no to a lot of teams. And they have to make these trade-offs and understand our technical debt. It's a hard role to be in. And so you don't want to be the person who's going and screaming at them. You want to be the person who's partnering with them and having a lot of empathy with them and understanding how to balance all of these inputs. So my experience is if you, if you know the product, 
you know the market and the customer and have a lot of empathy with this function, you will invariably enjoy really strong relationships with product management and product leaders. Now in a PLG scenario, it's really easy for them to get the same signal that you're looking for. When you think about what product decisions to make, there's often a growth pod or a growth team, which is running a ton of experiments inside the product. But the fundamental process of product management hasn't changed. You still receive a lot of these inputs. There's still a vision-oriented PM or a leader who says, I think we should be building this in the future. It's just that the speed with which signals are coming has, has grown with PLG. And so as PMMs, we need to be we need to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. We should be mining those signals. Uh, you know, at Qualtrics, as PMMs, we also had access to Amplitude, which was our, our, our source of truth for product usage. And so before I went into a discussion with the PM, I had all the data at my fingertips around usage and adoption for every feature. And that gave us the credibility to have really powerful conversations with them on, on how to influence the roadmap. So those are sort of my, my, my principles on how to work with PM, especially in a PLG, uh, PLG scenario. I love those principles and I'm, I'm sure they'll be helpful to so many of the, the, the listeners here. You, you touched uh, on influencing the roadmap once or twice there. And there was a, an interesting article that I read a, a little bit earlier today from uh, Product Marketing Alliance around product marketers owning the roadmap, owning and or influencing, excuse me, the, the, the roadmap. And what's interesting is 37% of product marketers who, who answered this, it was roughly about 1,100 product marketers or so, said that they own the product roadmap. Wow. And about And about 65, or excuse me, a bit under 65 said that they don't. Uh, I mean, that, that 65 was broken down, you know, 13-ish percent uh, doesn't have any influence, 35% has some influence, and 15% has a lot of influence. You know, curious to your reaction to, to that, number one, and, and number two, how do you think that influence should work? Should product marketing own and or have a lot of influence or maybe very little influence? Curious on your take. Wow, that's a, that's a, great, uh, uh, that's a great question. I have a somewhat controversial opinion on this. I think product marketing, especially in B2B context, you know, B2C product marketing and product management have a slightly different relationship. I don't think we should own the roadmap or be influencers of the roadmap. And there's, there's several reasons I, I believe that. I think one, we've all talked about, and even at this podcast, how product marketing is, is a function that means so many things to so many people. And uh, it feels like every company we walk into, there's an element of messaging and positioning or influencing roadmap or enablement and launches. And so I'm a huge fan of identifying what the core of this function is and not adding to it or distracting us by adding more things. And I think the core of product marketing should be to influence go-to-market outcomes. Like I define product marketing as a function which takes into account your market, your customer, and your product truths to drive go-to-market outcomes. I think there is a function that already exists whose primary job is to drive the roadmap, and that's product management. And yes, they are a little bit more inside out in their thinking. They often lack the market and the product, uh, market and the customer perspective to make some of those decisions. And PMMs can certainly add value to that. And I'm totally an advocate for doing that. But expecting PMMs to sort of own the roadmap, I think is a little bit of an extreme thinking because it's, you're influencing go-to-market outcomes as well as owning the roadmap and it's having too much on the plate. I'd rather create a culture where product marketing is really good at the, the external side of things, 
in order to be good at the external side of things, you need to know the customer and the market and know the product. That knowledge gives you the vantage point to have informed conversations with PMs on strategy and vision, but you don't have all the inputs for the roadmap. You're not often not sitting in that organization. You don't understand the technical trade-offs. You should synthesize the voice of the customer and help the PMs and make them be successful. But I think it's a little bit of a mistake for us to sort of metric ourselves into influencing the roadmap. It's a really hard thing to measure, you know, especially in early, early companies. I, I think when founders ask PMMs to influence the roadmap, it often comes from a place where PMs are not surrounded by a customer-centric culture. And I'd rather have more PMs talk to more customers uh, and listen to more voices and have the PMM function focus a lot more on taking that to market. It's a little bit of a controversial opinion. I'm not saying we should not have good relationships with PMs. We should absolutely do that through the principles I described. But when it comes to owning the roadmap or even thinking about influencing the roadmap, I feel like it's a, it's a little bit distracting to the function. I agree. For, for a, a function like ours that is already arguably spread quite thin in, in, in most organizations, at least adding something as significant as the, the, the roadmap, which of course impacts basically every function within the organization, but then you know, dives deeply into the product development process. Uh, I, I think even takes product marketing to 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 another layer of being stretched even further, um, yeah. and, and makes makes it more difficult. So, so I, I completely agree with you. One more question, based off what you were saying, how have you operationalized that kind of feedback loop? This is something that I don't think is talked enough about in in product marketing. We talk a lot about being market centric and talking a lot about understanding our customers and talking with our customers, but how have you kind of operationalized that a bit and, and fed that to kind of the, the product teams that you've, you've worked with uh, currently or, or in the past? Totally. You know, I think uh, the, the way we have, I've approached this tactically is you, every company has different listening channels. Some are already set up and some are not set up. So you, you need to have in your mind all the different channels that may exist. If they're already set up, you just tap into that. If they're not set up, you could be the, the function to set it up or, or take initiative over there. So as an example, in many companies, have, you know, they have some rudimentary NPS program, which is one listening channel from customers that often is run by customer success. It could be run by product marketing. It could be run by, by somebody else. If it's there, go and study those insights maybe ask, influence the right kind of questions. If it isn't there, find a way to set up an NPS program. I would say the same thing about a customer advisory board. It's very common for PMMs to actually set it up and own it, but I've been in situations where it's already running. There is a customer advisory board in place. At Qualtrics, it was actually led by uh, our, our UX research team. At Clayview, it's actually led by our customer success team. But either way, you contribute to it. You use it as a mechanism and a forum to test new messaging, or new roadmap features, or just listen to customers about trends in the market and synthesize those insights and come back. And so the first thing I do is, you know, whenever you have to think about the voice of the customer is look at those listening channels. Do they exist? If they do, find them. If they don't, try and find ways to set it up. The second thing is we often have to, like we often forget that to be a good PMM, you need to almost talk to customers as part of your culture. It's part of your day-to-day -day workflows. And how can you do that? Think about the customer-facing teams in the company, your sales team, your CS teams, your partners team, your support team. Go, go, go ask them. 
hey, sales, can I shadow your next 10 calls? Or if you have a tool like Gong or Chorus, just, just listen to those calls. Hey, CSMs, can I join your next QBRs? Maybe I can, you know, I, I created this new set of slides around our roadmap. Can I present those slides? So put yourself out there, be a fly on the wall, develop those relationships. If you're doing any major messaging change, a new pitch deck, a new value proposition, a new product launch, I would say you should not be launching it before testing it with a few customers. And that can only happen if you have access to those relationships. And so uh, don't just look at programmatic listening channels, find those customer facing teams and talk to them. Uh, and that's something we have operationalized. And, and a tactic we, we deployed recently was uh, at Clavio customer advocacy, which is the team that talks about the customer's wins with us from a reviews or testimonials or case studies, uh, also sits within product marketing. And so we asked all PMMs to, to, to support the advocacy team in developing case studies. In fact, we almost called ourselves and said, every PMM should be writing a case study. Um, and what that forces you to do is think about the value your product is, is, is providing the customer. A, fun, a structure of a case study is problem, uh, solution, impact. So you've got to think through the customer challenge. You've got to think through your product solution and impact is all the value metrics that we talk about. And if you, if you are on the hook to create a case study, you naturally start thinking in that framework in those terms. And so those are some ways we have operationalized sort of having a PMM culture that is always listening to customers and sharing and synthesizing those insights, both for your own messaging, but also with your PM counterparts and say, hey, you know, here's what customers are saying. You, you, you want to listen to, to this for, for some roadmap tips. We've covered a ton of ground here today. And this has really been a phenomenal conversation, Sahil. Uh, one final question as we start to wrap up here. Curious if there's any like books or different pieces that you've read that have really impacted your career or maybe advice that a mentor has given you that's really impacted your, your career as a product marketer or just a leader. You know, I uh, one of my mentors a long time ago gave me this advice that you can learn anything. I feel as product marketers, we're doing so many things you know, we're doing enablement and launches and messaging. We're expected to be storytellers and good at product. Sometimes we box ourselves by limiting our own thinking. You know, we start describing ourselves in these narratives. You know, I'm the, I'm the launch guy or I'm, the, I'm, I'm really good at positioning. But if you truly want to be a world-class product marketer, you need to have this approach that I can learn all of those breadth skills that is, that is required of a, of a great product marketer. And the mindset that I've chosen, at least, uh, is I can learn anything. And whether it's a new industry or a new function, it's not really hard. There's a ton of good literature out there. There's good books. There's great podcasts. If you really want to and put yourself out there, you can absolutely learn a new skill and go to the next stage in your career. And so that's that's something I, I always keep with me. Great piece of advice to, to close on and, and to keep in mind as we all think about our own careers and, and think about our, our own growth as well. Uh, again, thank you so much for being on the podcast, Sahil. Any any final words or, or place that folks can find you or, or the content that you're publishing? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. That's the one place I'm on. Look forward to making new friends on LinkedIn. And uh, this, this is a great podcast. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for having me. Thank you again. This show is produced by Sharebird the knowledge sharing platform for the fastest growing teams. It's the place to get on-demand answers to your questions and learn from leaders at the top of their field. Want more advice and insights? Check out sharebird.com.